title of today's message is Citizen You. And as you see up there, the U is in parentheses because it's meant to be your name in there. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in two different spots today primarily. And the first one is going to be Matthew chapter 5, and the second is going to be Galatians chapter 5, if you want to turn there. In a video we just watched to introduce the message, asked a series of questions. What if we forgave as God does? What if we, instead of asking God, God, just get that person that, that is angering me right now or is mistreating me. God, just get them. Instead of asking for justice, what if we forgave? What if we said, God, I know that person is, is being very cruel to me, is, is plotting against me, but Lord, bless them anyway. Bless them. Bring them to you. What if we forgave like that? What if we told people about God because his presence was so real within us? What if we invited our struggling neighbor to church? What if we, we know that our neighbor is lonely? We know that our neighbor is pretty much a shut-in. What if we say, I will go and make sure she comes to church. I will go and be her friend. I will make sure that even though she doesn't have a family within 100 miles, I will make sure she is taken care of because Jesus takes care of me. What if we started allowing the light that is within every Christian to begin shining in our world? What if every Christian took their citizenship in this kingdom of God seriously, like it is meant to be? What if we lived in such a way that it automatically points people to the kingdom of God? What if we lived our lives in such a way that people start to ask questions and even desire to know when, why when the entire world seems to be falling apart, when the enemy comes against us like a flood, when people talk about us, when people do things that are cruel to us, that we can stand there like a rock in the midst of the storm and not retaliate and bless when we are cursed. And, and continue to act in love even when people hate us? What if that caused people to ask, what is it about you that you can be like this? And Jesus spoke to us of this idea. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, if we were to paraphrase this, would say, if you are in my kingdom, representing me and my Father People should see it. People should notice it. And people should automatically desire it. The Bible says that he has put eternity in the hearts of men. He has put that desire to want to know and understand God. But sin has clouded that and kept us from being able to see it. 
Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its wisdom. And we ask, Father, that it do its job, that it penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, that it judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts, not to bring condemnation, not to bring a sense of guilt, not to bring just this idea that we are not worthy, but to help us understand the love and grace that you want to show this world through us. Because it desperately wants it and it desperately needs it, Lord, even if they don't even realize it. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. So our big idea this morning is that as kingdom citizens, we should all represent a different spirit than that which this world has. So let's compare and contrast the two spirits that the Bible describes. Those living according to the spirit of this world and those living according to the spirit of God. And we'll see this in Galatians chapter 5 if you want to turn there. And we'll begin by looking at the spirit that this world has. And when I say this world, I'm talking about the part of this world that does not know Christ as Savior, the part of this world that has not bent the knee to God and said, God, I need forgiveness of my sins. These are people that are living completely without God or having an incomplete understanding of who God really is. So Galatians 5, verse 19 now the works of the flesh, and when we're talking about flesh, we're talking about the spirit of this world. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell, tell you beforehand and also have told you in time past that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let's break this verse down a little bit. Number one, we see what it talks about flesh. When it talks about flesh in the Bible, it's the Greek word sarkos. And it really means, it talks about you know, the human flesh, our, our, our skin, our bodies, that which is carnal or unredeemed human nature. And when I was preparing for this message and I was meditating on this word, I was thinking, and I, I did a little bit of exploration of the, of the different words that this is part of. And one of the words that this is part of is the word sarcophagus. Sarcophagus is a box that you put dead people in. And it really kind of brings out what Paul is saying here when he's talking about the works of the flesh. That our flesh that is unredeemed or has not surrendered to Christ will produce things that, are, that bring even more death, won't they? If, we're not, if we don't have our flesh crucified to Jesus, then it's just going to continue to bring forth that which it represents, and that is death. And that's why all works, even if, if an atheist does something that is good or nice, say if there was an atheist last week that was stacking sandbags next to me, that does not mean anything to God because it's death producing death because it is a work. It is not a fruit. We'll get into that in a little bit. 
And the works that are listed here that we just read about in Galatians that are against God's nature um, that are fleshly works because that's what sin is. And although Paul was speaking to sins that were very apparent in the Roman and Greek culture, we see all these things in our world today, don't we? Every single one of them. We have a tendency when we read the Bible saying, well, that was then, but no, this is now. This is now. You can't even turn on the TV without seeing virtually every single one of those on display within, within an hour of watching TV, even the news, for crying out loud. And this list that Paul gives here is not all-inclusive, but each action he names is very much intertwined with the other actions. And the first one that he lists is adultery, all these sins. You say, well, how does adultery have anything to cheat on God before they actually commit a sin, don't they? If you really, really think about it, all sin is spiritual adultery. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in on a marriage, um, on a or in counseling people of their marriage and adultery has happened and you start going backwards and you help them to see how they got to actually having a physical affair with somebody else. And the first thing they have to do is they have to commit adultery on God. Something happened within their spiritual walk somewhere along the line where they got disconnected from God. Maybe they put work over the top of, of their spiritual life or over their family. Maybe they didn't pay enough attention to their spouse and they allowed somebody else to come in and, and take that, that place of primacy in their marriage. Maybe they stopped reading their Bible. Maybe they stopped praying. Somewhere along the way, they first had to cheat on God before they actually went out and had a physical affair. And that's really where all sin begins, isn't it? is first we have to kind of push God to the side and say, I know your word says this, God, but I want it. Because that's what adultery is, isn't it? And if we allow that, those thoughts to continue, if we allow that to, to, to come to blossom, it leads to fornication. And the fornication here is, is obviously talking about an unauthorized physical contact with another person. And it's interesting, <laughs> interesting and tragic when you talk to people about this today because, I mean, even people at work, there was a woman the other day and she was talking and I could kind of hear it off in the corner about she, that she's a married woman and she has a boyfriend. And, you know, everybody probably knows about it but her husband, and she's kind of whispering and, and kind of giggling about it and said, well, I haven't really cheated on my husband because we haven't had sex yet. I mean, we've done just about everything but, but we haven't actually had sex yet. And it's, it was the way that she was trying to justify it in her mind that, well, since we haven't had sex, it's not really cheating. But fornication means unauthorized physical contact with another human being whether it be male or female. And the reason that you can have physical contact with your spouse is because you're one flesh in the eyes of God. That's why when it says, when God has brought something together, let no man separate, because you have authorization to be intimate with that person through the marriage covenant. You are completely authorized. But if you're not, then you have no right to touch that person in a romantic way. Absolutely zero. 
That is what, what he's talking about with fornication. And we can fornicate with our minds even. We can fornicate by watching stuff on TV or watching stuff on the internet that we're not supposed to be watching. And that will lead to uncleanliness or lewdness. And this is the action of the heart's desire. It begins with the adultery, it continues with the fornication, and it comes out through uncleanliness and lewdness. And with a physical action that comes to the heart's desire. And that will lead to idolatry. Is that you decide you want this thing more than God. That's what an idol is. It's not necessarily just a stone statue that you put up and say, I'm going to go and worship the great pumpkin over here. It's saying that I'm going to put this thing before God. It's going to say, I have my God box here, and then I have this over here. And as long as God stays in his box over here, and as long as I do the right rituals, as long as I do the right things, as long as I show up to church once in a while, toss an off, a dollar in the offering plate, as long as I do these things, God's going to be happy, and I can still have this over here. But our God can't fit in a box, can he? He wants to be part of everything in our lives. From taking a shower in the morning to the way we treat one another, he wants to be part of that and, and part of everything within our lives. Another thing that Paul lists here is sorcery. Sorcery can be described here as trusting in spiritual things outside of God's power. How many Christians will sit here and talk about their horoscopes? I don't know if you've ever seen that. Some of them people have lucky rabbit's feet on their keychains or things hanging from their rearview mirror. Like a rabbit's foot's going to help you. It wasn't too lucky for that rabbit, was it? <laughs> in the church, we even have some things. We have rituals. We talked a little bit in Sunday school this morning about incense and burning candles and like you're going to get God's attention by lighting a fire. You get my attention because I'm a firefighter, but um, you're not really going to get God's attention through doing these things. Some people will put stuff in newspapers saying, well, if you say this prayer, God's going to do something for you. Like God's a genie in a lamp. If you rub him a certain way, he's going to perform. That's sorcery, by the way, in case you're wondering. We see it even in books that are written, Prayer of Jabez. I don't want to necessarily call that sorcery, but the Prayer of Jabez was, was if you read the book, was if you pray that God, to God just like this, then God has to perform. Like we put God in a headlock and say, okay, I did this, you have to do this now. I mean, really? I mean, just think about that. The God of the universe, the almighty, omniscient, omnipresent, God of the universe is going to be moved by you performing a, a religious act like that. That's not coming out of your heart. It will continue with hatred and contentions. Hatred and contentions, talking about causing trouble, is your pride forcing your will upon another or wishing ill towards someone who has harmed you and devising evil schemes to harm them. And what it really talks about here is causing a fight where none existed. It's you actually pitting two people against one another that were previously either barely knew each other or were not at conflict. And there's people out there that'll do these kind of things on purpose. I don't, they get some sort of sick pleasure from doing it. 
And people, even in churches, that do this. I can't tell you how many church fights I've been in where I've just, it, it all comes back to one person spreading gossip and just making up a story that wasn't even true. Heresies. Heresy is defined as purposely tris, twisting God's revealed word to fit your idea of God or twisting it to justify your immorality. Those are two definitions of heresies. And we see a lot of this today. We talk, the Bible talks about that in the end times will be a great falling away or a great apostasy. And we're seeing that a lot in the church. And there's even things within the assemblies that, that people are trying to push in here. Um, people that are out there like Rob Bell, who denies that God will send anybody to hell. He writes books about this, best-selling books about this, that people read this garbage and then they think, well, God's not going to send me to hell, so I can live any way I want because love is going to win. That's the name of the book, by the way. Not that I want you to buy it. Love wins. God's love. And he's so much love, he's not going to send people to hell. It makes no sense. Because if God is not a God of justice, then he can't be a God of love. Love and justice have to be intertwined. Oprah's out there doing pretty much the same thing. All roads lead to God. We're just different voices in the same choir. Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? And it just sounds reasonable. You know, come on, be reasonable. Jesus didn't really say, I am the way and the truth of the life and no one comes to the Father through me. That's not what he really meant. I don't know how you take that any other way than what he said, but that's what they're kind of saying. We see this even in, the main, in some mainstream churches, acceptance of homosexual clergy or homosexual marriage. This is the most recent uh, th um, thing to happen to the church where you're going, Wait a minute, how arrogant do we have to be that we're going to change 2,000 years of settled Christian thought on this subject? Because why? We found a new book of the Bible that's where Jesus said it's okay? No, we're, they're using the same Bible we're all using. But somehow we think we're smarter than the last 2,000 years, and we're just going to change this now. I mean, that's that to me is the... Is, is the epitome of arrogance to think that we can just go ahead and just change this and, and think that God's going to be okay with it. He also lists envy, which is desiring things that others don't have. Don't put anything before God. Murder, both in word and action. Drunkenness. And I was talking about this the other day. People are at work or even around the fire department are surprised that I don't drink alcohol. And I mentioned once, I don't remember if it was Sunday school or Wednesday night, that I had gone to a training and somebody, um, after the training, I, I just did a really good job. And so the way that men in the world kind of compliment one another about things is they'll, they'll say, hey, let me get you a beer. And they brought me, and we had like three different beers at the fire department, so he brought all three of them to me. He goes, hey, pick one, I want to buy you a beer quote-unquote, buy you a beer. And I said, well, you got a root beer in there? I love root beer. And he's like, he goes, oh, you don't like any of these beers? I said, well, I really don't drink alcohol. And he's like, how can you not drink alcohol? What do you mean you don't drink? He goes, oh, do you want some hard liquor? I said, no. I, <laughs> I said, no, no, I don't. I, I said, I don't want any. And he was just so, so taken back how a person could live their lives without drinking alcohol. And I said, you know, I said, I don't drink alcohol for a couple reasons. Number one, first and foremost, the Assemblies of God tells me I can't. And I'm, 
I want to be faithful to what the Assemblies of God says. I said, but I said, since I've been up here, I have seen multiple drunk driving deaths. I have seen multiple people's lives ruined by alcohol. I have seen so many people fall into sin because they started drinking, even in my own family. I said, I want to stand here for you and willingly say, I don't need this. I don't need this. And I can live without it. And I want to be able to stand before you with a straight face and say, I don't need this. Because you know what drunkenness really is? It's a substitute for the joy of the Lord that the devil has put on this planet. It is a substitute for the peace and joy and serenity that God gives us through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I didn't get that theological with them. But I'm just saying, that is why people drink. That is why people get high. That is why people want to escape. Because they want to experience that euphoria that God wants to give us through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. If all this is allowed to continue, then it gets into revelries. And when it's talking about revelries, he's talking about what happened before the golden, the golden calf. He's talking about just having an orgy of just an incom- and, a, and a complete giving over to any sin, but per- in particular sins of a sexual nature. And you may think that, well, you know, that doesn't happen around here that much. Well, I don't know if you know, but about 25 miles that way, there's an adult camp where this stuff happens every, all the time. 25 miles that way. We get the patients in the, in the ER I work in. I mean, it's probably happening here in our community. We have gay pride parades that are being held in virtually every major city in the United States. Just this last week, there was this parade where everybody got to go topless in New York City, sanctioned by the government and protected by the police department. They got to go topless in New York City. So you think that these things aren't really part of our world now? They're happening. They're happening right in front of our eyes now. And the Bible, and the, the verse says that those who practice such things, the, the Greek meaning there is not somebody who just, who just stumbles and, and occasionally will fall into that sin. It's talking about somebody who gives himself over to it or are enslaved to it with no conviction that it's wrong. Or even, more, or even more so, a person who says that God doesn't care about this or that God is blessing my sin. That's blasphemy. And he's very, very, very specific here when he says that these people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And you want to know why? Because they never were part of the kingdom here on earth. Heaven, and this is really a key point, is that heaven is simply the full realization of the kingdom of God in our lives. And us, come, and us dying is simply coming in the, into the completeness of what we should be existing in right now here on earth. That's all that death is. It's just sta- coming into completeness of what we know here, um, here and now. And that is why an understanding of the kingdom of God is very crucial in our lives. It's critical to living a victorious life and it's critical to living a life that will echo into eternity and bring a reward when you stand before God to give an account of your life. And that is what how the world is existing. 
But let's look at the spirit of the kingdom. Continuing in Galatians, starting in verse 22 of chapter 5. But, but, when you see a but in the Bible, there is a contrast happening here. And that's exactly what's ha happening, is that he is contrasting this, the works of the, wor the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. But, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now I want to contrast the fruit versus the works. A work is something that man does according to his own will. And given the sinful condition and sinful nature of man, it is always tainted and it cannot produce spiritual fruit. Fruit is the word that God always gives to his attributes and what represents him most fully. If you think about an apple, Tammy and I eat a lot of apples. I was going to bring one this morning, but we ate all the apples. <laughs> I suppose I could have brought an orange, but... I like, I like the apples. We eat a lot of apples, and I like my apples quartered. I usually cut them into ace and, and eat them and sometimes dip them in peanut butter. And when you, when you cut an apple open, you, what do you see on the inside of it? All kinds of seeds. Well, hopefully not worms. I pray over my apples. I don't know about your apples, but my apples are prayed over. You see a bunch of seeds, because that's what fruit is. It's just a big, giant seed germination factory. And it's supposed to fall to the ground, and that the pulp around that seed is supposed to provide enough energy for that seed to, to grow into another plant. And the fruit of the Spirit is simply us displaying the character of Jesus so that people can see him. It's allowing the God within us through the Holy Spirit's abiding presence to be God within us. Because God is very good at being God. Since he's the only God, he's an expert. And it's the Holy Spirit's mission within us to draw all people to Jesus Christ so that they can repent of their sins and come into the same kingdom that we are in. That is why it's described as fruit. Because fruit is meant to reproduce. And I don't know if you bought it, but Christians are made to be fruity. We're a bunch of fruity people, or should be if you're a Christian. You should be naturally reproducing yourself. But how do we do that? What's the, what's the practical ways that we do that? It all starts with love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And Paul could have put a period right there and been done with it. But he goes, just like, just like he did with with the works of the flesh when he said that the works of the flesh are adultery and then kind of lists all the ways that people commit adultery on God, he, sounds, he comes here and says that the fruit of the, of the Spirit is love and then lists the different ways that love is shown to the world. And we see these different branches coming off of here. The, love of, the branches of this love are joy. And I want to explain this a little bit because we think, we equate the words joy and happiness and they're not the same thing. 
Happiness is a temporary emotion based on the circumstances that you are in right now. Joy is a mindset that you have because you surrendered your heart to God, surrendered your will to God, surrendered even your very thoughts to God. It is a decision that you make through the influence of the Holy Spirit to be filled with joy because you know you have the presence of God. It is this very same presence is the reason that Paul and Silas could be in jail, whipped, pressed up and chained to a wall that's rubbing on all the whipped flesh and still be singing to God. They had joy. Were they happy at that moment? Were they just filled with, 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 a, with a great happiness of going, God, I'm so happy that my back is killing me? They said, no, I'm filled with joy because I know you're with me and because I'm knowing that you, I'm doing your will. And so, and so many times people will wreck their lives in the pursuit of happiness because what they're really seeking is joy. Happiness will never bring you to where you want or where you need to be in life. And it, it, it branches off again and goes to peace. And peace really is the byproduct of joy. You can't have peace without it. That is why people that you can see they can be going through utter and complete, and I don't use this word lightly, but it's almost like they're already going through hell here on earth. But they have a peace that transcends all understanding. A person that could be smiling, they could be going through a Job situation where their entire life was just wiped out, but they still have a smile on their face. They may be wrecked on the inside, but because of that peace that's welling up within them through the presence of God, they can look at the world and, and say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Peace has its roots in faith and hope. And this is why Jesus could be resting on and sleeping through a storm, resting on the bow of a ship, while everybody else is freaking out, thinking they're going to drown. Yet he was sitting, sleeping, and slept right through it until they woke him up. That is how we go through life, being able to show the world the peace of God, even when everything goes wrong. Long-suffering is the next one. It's a second byproduct of joy. Long-suffering is simply extending mercy to those who would normally deserve judgment. They are, it is showing the love of God to a person who you would normally want to punch in the mouth. Let's just be honest. You find these people sometimes that, that you just want to strangle in, in, your, in your earthly self. I read a t-shirt once that said, stress is resisting the overwhelming urge to choke someone to death who de desperately deserves it. That is a definition of stress. I don't know about you, but I meet those people sometimes in our lives. But we are blessed that our Father does not follow that same mindset, amen? That we get the same grace from God. And we are to emulate that to the world. Kindness. This is how we're able to show kindness is through long-suffering. It's a mindset of love and joy. And it's a choice all of these are choices we make through the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's a choice to live in the love and the joy of the Lord. 
Goodness is simply extending the same grace that God shows us. Faithfulness shows the world who your father is and how you choose to represent him. And gentleness is the very character of God being shown to the world. And it all results in self-control. Everybody asks, I can't, or says, I can't control my urges. I can't control how I feel. I can't control my emotions. The Bible says you can. If you allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be manifested in your life. And if we are living this way, then our citizenship should be obvious to this world. Jesus told us about who his people are and how you identify them in this world. In Matthew 7, 16, he said, You will know them by their fruits, not their works. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even more so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Tammy, if you want to, and Jennifer want to come back up. You know, we have a lot of different ways to show what we're passionate about to the world. Some people wear sports jerseys. Some people wear T-shirts showing their favorite brand. I brought a few hats. This is my favorite hat right here. This one kind of shows the world that I'm a paramedic. Actually, the P there stands for Paratech, which is the last company I worked for. It says it on the back here. This is actually my favorite hat. It just fits the best. I like exactly where the brim sits. This is the one, if you see me around town, I'm probably wearing this hat. I wear this to work. I wear it on the ambulance. I wear it on the fire department if I don't have to have my helmet on. I usually wear this. This is my favorite hat. And it tells people I'm a paramedic. I have one for the fire department, too. I borrowed these from Kevin. Kevin He's my brother-in-law. He collects hats. Now, if I'm wearing this hat, what is it saying? I'm a Chevy guy. I love Chevy cars. You're not going to see a Toyota in my driveway. It's going to be American-made, General Motors. It's going to be a Chevy car. Everybody knows I love Chevy if I'm wearing this hat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not wearing it when I'm driving the Dodge. No, this hat. Can everybody say amen? <laughs> Green Bay Packer hat. People know if I wear this, I'm a Packer backer. I am, I am going for Aaron Rodgers. I'm going for the pack. I love the pack. I love the pack so much that, I don't know, is there a game today? I'd probably be running out of the back of the church if I was sitting in the pew about now. So you'd be starting the game. In 10 minutes, that's James saying, hurry up. <laughs> Let's wrap her up. These are just different ways that we show the world our affections. How much more so should we be showing the world what is most important in our lives? And that is where our citizenship lies. That slide I had back up there before showing where your passport is, if they were to ask you to show me your passport, that's exactly what it should say. Citizen John, citizen of the kingdom of God. Amen. And, it's show, and we show this to this world by living according to these fruits of the Holy Spirit.
Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power that it still has on, in this world. The oldest part is 2,000 years old, but it still has power. It can still bring conviction. It can still judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. It can strip away all the false ideas, false accusations, all the falsehood this world would try to give us. This word is still true. So, Father, I just ask, Lord, that your will be made manifest in our lives as it is revealed through this book, Father. Lord God, I ask that you will just touch everybody here, that if there be things in their lives that don't line up with this book, that you will bring conviction to them now and grant them repentance from it. Because I want every person here to live under the maximum amount of blessing that they can have from you. And I want them to have the most impact they possibly can on this planet so one day they can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's rise and end in singing a hymn this morning. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.